All right. I want to welcome you all to Mount Olive Church today. So glad that you're here and uh, Merry Christmas. And uh, as we enter the Advent season, uh, you know, as we start, I want us to read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 together out loud. Even if you're watching online at home, uh, let's read this out loud together. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You know, there's something pretty unsettling about the dark. Dark often brings about anxiety and fear because there's a whole bunch of stuff we don't, don't know and can't see. Very few of us fear the light, but I bet you, I bet each of us has a story about us being afraid of the dark. You know, the only time I think we, maybe one of the only times we fear the light is when we did something in the dark and we want it left in the dark and concealed by the dark, but the light is coming and we fear the light. But generally speaking, it's the dark that brings about anxiety and fear and light brings clarity often comfort, peace. Uh, Often the prospect of the light brings anticipation and joy. Uh, We all have stories of the dark and the pain that come from the dark physically, right? You have your story of waking up in the middle of the night and groping around the darkness, trying to find the light, and then you stub your toe. And isn't it amazing how everything just hurts more at two in the morning when it's dark? It's like that just, just, hurts so bad or it's worse maybe you have kids or not the kids parts worse but um they play with lego i don't know if there's anything more painful than stepping on a piece of lego at two in the morning when it's dark and you didn't anticipate it and it's just oh it's so painful and the dark can bring about so much pain and often it's tied to pain and fear anxiety and yet The prophet Isaiah said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And there was this hope, this anticipation on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I wanna welcome you to our series, Lit Up. And uh, Christmas is a time when we celebrate that the world itself was lit up. But honestly, For me, one of my favorite uh, Christmas traditions, and we did this growing up when I was a kid, and we've done it with our kids. And I I think a lot of you, as I've chatted with you over the years, a lot of you have this Christmas tradition as well. Uh, You know, in Alberta, it's just really fun during the Christmas season to go to Calgary or Red Deer or Airdrie or just even our own town and just drive around looking at the lights, right? There's just something exciting and, and hopeful I mean, we live in Alberta. It's dark like two thirds of our existence in December. And so there's just something like really hopeful in the middle of like our darkest time of the year, seeing these lights shining and the light lit up. And this isn't just true physically, but also spiritually. And it's interesting as the the nation of Israel was in the land in a time of deep darkness and it was spiritual and it was national. I mean, judgment was coming on them and Isaiah speaks about that. And it's just this dark, depressing time. He talked about the hope and anticipation of light. And some 700 years later, Jesus would come and this is what he would say about himself. 
I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy that Isaiah gave some 700 years earlier. And he says that light that you as a nation were looking forward to has just arrived. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. But maybe as we enter the Christmas season, you feel like there's a darkness in you. And although we have this anticipation of Christmas, your world seems to be dark. And maybe it's a relationship that you're in that has just clouded your entire life. Maybe it's a loss that you've experienced that has clouded your entire life. Maybe for you, it's, it's, it's spiritual. I mean, you have this sense, has God left me? And we're supposed to be celebrating the light of the world in the presence of God. And yet it seems like there's a cloud and a shadow that I'm living in. And I wanna encourage you, my hope and my prayer today and in this series is that even as we walk in the cloud, even as we walk in the shadows, that this Christmas we would see that there is light, but there's a, a paradox because although we have light, we know that the light is also coming in an even clearer way. In some ways, even today, as we live on the other side of history, Jesus has already come as the light of the world. In many ways, you and I are much like the nation of Israel who lived before the coming of Christ in anticipation of the light, but there was darkness and there was shadows. And I wanna encourage us, even as we live with the tension of the shadows of our life today, that God never left. God never left the nation of Israel in the dark. And this is a promise and Christmas is a promise that he doesn't leave us in the dark either. God will never leave you in the dark. And as we read the Christmas story, what's interesting, they say hindsight is 2020, and I don't know if it's true, but often hindsight gives us more clarity. And the New Testament writers, as they lived on the other side of Jesus' coming, and by the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they looked at the entire event and they spoke of the nation of Israel who lived in darkness. And they show us that the light and the presence of Jesus who came was already present even in their darkness. That although it was a dim light, the light of Jesus was always there. And we see this in the New Testament writers talk about these types and shadows. Uh, the word type, uh, the uh, Webster's Dictionary says this, a type is a person or a thing as in the Old Testament, this is right from Webster's Dictionary, believed to foreshadow another, as in the New Testament. And so we have the New Testament writers under the power of the Holy Spirit look at the Old Testament and the darkness that the nation lived in from time to time, in the shadows that they lived in, and yet they see the light of Jesus and the presence of Jesus even there, because God never left them 
in the dark. What's a shadow? According to Webster's Dictionary, a shadow is an imperfect and faint representation that the light of Jesus was already present in a faint and imperfect representation hundreds of years before Jesus was born as the light of the world. So how was Jesus and his presence and his light already here before he came? in types and in shadows. Well, let me suggest three that we see the New Testament writers speak of. And if you have your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter 10. We're gonna be spending some time in Hebrews. We're gonna kind of bounce around a little bit from place to place in Hebrews, but just start, we'll start in Hebrews chapter 10. As you're finding that, the first one I wanna look at is the area of the law. Jesus in the light of Christ was already present hundreds of years before he came in person through the law. And specifically, the law of Passover and sacrifice. Many of you know the story of how the nation of Israel became a nation. If you don't, uh, it started with uh, 12 brothers who became the 12 tribes or the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the nation of Israel became a nation in slavery. For over 400 years, they were slaves in Egypt, the superpower of the day under Pharaoh. And uh, the nation grew into a nation in slavery. That's all they knew as a nation. And as you know the story, Moses was raised up by God to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and say, let my people go, to which, of course, Pharaoh said, no. And then God twists his arm. He persuades Pharaoh with 10 plagues. And the final plague was the one that kind of broke the camel's back. It was the one that was the last straw after which Pharaoh said, you can go. But the last plague is significant because it was the plague of the death of the firstborn. But what's interesting, this plague would affect everyone, Jews, Israelites, Egyptians, everyone. The only way to bypass this plague was to trust God enough to do what he asked them to do. It was not enough to say, I believe in my heart. It was not enough to say, I trust God in my brain, in my mind, I trust in God. No, unless you did something physically, the angel of death would come to your home. And what God had asked them to do and to trust them with was to take a one-year-old lamb without defect, kill the lamb and put the blood. And this is strange to our ears because we don't live in a blood culture, but this was not as strange to their ears. But to take the blood of the lamb and put it around the door frames of their homes. And when the angel of death came, it would see the blood on the doors frames of the homes and the angel of death would pass over, that's where the term Passover comes from, would pass over that home and that family would be saved, guess what? by the blood of the lamb. And some years later, God would give direction to Moses about a sacrificial system. Again, we don't live in a blood culture, but for every time they sinned, they were to sacrifice lambs and bulls and goats. And there was all kinds of sacrifices for sins and thanksgiving, all kinds of sacrifice. But there was one that was significant. It happened on a specific day in the year called the Day of Atonement. And the high priest would have to do all kinds of ceremonial cleansing and his own sacrifice for his own sin. And once he was cleansed, he would take two goats and he would cast lots and one of the goats would be set free with all the sin of the nation put on it as a, a physical sign that their sin had been removed. 
but the other goat would be sacrificed. And the blood of that goat would be taken in through the tabernacle to the Holy of Holies, past the curtain. And there was this curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was, which is where God's presence was. And the curtain showed that nobody can enter God's presence. Sinful humanity cannot enter the holy presence of God and live. And so it's separate. God's presence was separated from the people. But once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to make atonement, to cover over the sin of the entire nation in the presence of God. But only once a year. And with all that in mind, as the New Testament writers were looking back in John's gospel, one of the very first descriptions of Jesus outside of John's narrative as narrator, what he writes, one of the first things said of Jesus is by John the Baptist who came to prepare the way for Jesus. And John does not say king, although that would be true of Jesus. He does not say, look, there's a miracle worker, which would be true of Jesus. Do you know what the first thing John the Baptist would say? Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world that all in the history of the nation with all these sacrifices and the day of atonement, this was all a, a dim light, a shadow of a picture of what God was gonna do through the person of Jesus. And the first thing he says is, look, the lamb of God. And Paul continues this thought in 1 Corinthians as he writes to the church there, he says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And just as the nation of Israel of old, right? Paul would say, just as the nation of Israel of, as of old took blood and put it on the door frames and they were saved by the blood of the lamb, we have a new Passover lamb. That was just a dim light, a picture, a foreshadowing of what God was gonna do through his Messiah, the Christ. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, which you are already there, the writer of Hebrews summarizes this all up and he says the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the reality themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeatedly, repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. You cannot draw near to worship God through the sacrifice of a lamb but you can draw near to God through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus the Messiah. And so he says, it's not possible to just come to God and enter his presence into the holy place through the blood of lambs. It's over and over and over. No, no, no. He says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But look, the Lamb of God who does take away the sin of the world. And this is what John saw. And he saw the light of Christ was always present with the nation. They had never been left in complete darkness, though it was shadowed and it was dim. And so we see Jesus already present and the light of Christ already present all throughout the history of the nation.
present in the law itself. But here's the interesting thing. The light of Jesus was not just present in the law. It was present in a physical structure called the tabernacle, later called the temple. And this is, this is fascinating. Uh, Jesus, I, I said earlier that the high priest once a year would go into the, the temple, the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was built as a representation of something. Now, for many of us, it's New Year's, you know, in just a few weeks. And this is our time for like New Year's resolutions, right? It's like, I'm going to gain weight. I'm going to put off weight. I'm going to gain muscle, whatever we, you know, your New Year's resolution is. But for many believers, and maybe this is true of you in your past, and maybe it will be true of you this year, uh, we often make New Year's resolutions to like, I'm going to read my Bible. In fact, I'm going to read the entire Bible in one year. And for many of you, you have this story. It's like you started pretty good, right? Like January went pretty good and Genesis is kind of interesting. And then February hit and you got to like Exodus. And then you kind of just tailed off and then just never quite happened, right? Because my hunch is that you got to Exodus chapter 25, chapter 26, and chapter 27, and there's some nearly 2,000 words dedicated to the structure of how Moses was to have the tabernacle built and the, 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 the kind of materials he's supposed to use and where they're supposed to be placed. And at some point in your reading of this, like 2,000 words of the description of a tabernacle that no longer exists in physical form, you thought, does it even matter? Like, is this do we need this in the Bible? And you kind of just, you got lost. But here's the interesting thing. Moses wrote that on purpose for a purpose because God told him to, because the very physical building of the tabernacle actually represented, it pointed to the light of Jesus. Look what Hebrews says, turn your Bible back just a couple pages to Hebrews chapter eight, starting in verse five. Regarding the tabernacle, he says, they, that's the priests who serve in the sanctuary of the tabernacle or the temple, they serve at a sanctuary, this is verse five, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow, get this, of what is in heaven. What? This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it, this is God speaking, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Because what you are about to build is pointing, it's a shadow, it's a type, it's pointing to what is in heaven. So that 2,000 words of kind of useless, you know, you're like, what is this here for? Is actually quite useful. And this was part of the light of Christ. And the writer of Hebrews would go on and say, but in fact, the ministry of Jesus in the new tabernacle, heaven itself, has, re uh, in fact, the ministry Jesus has received as as superior to theirs, their ministry, the speaking of the priests in the tabernacle, as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant, that's the new arrangement between God and humanity, the way we come and are made right between us and God, the new covenant is established on better promises, but it all pointed to the person of Jesus and what he was gonna do. The light was always there, dim though it may have been. 
but it was always there. Thirdly, the light of Jesus was specifically present in the curtain. I told you earlier that there was a curtain that separated the holy of holies from the, from the, the common people, that you could not enter God's presence without going through a curtain. The curtain, curtain separated. And it's interesting, at Jesus' death, Matthew records this, and it's an interesting statement. He says, and when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice and he gave up his spirit, he died. At that very moment, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. At that moment, what happened in heaven was shown on earth. Remember, the temple, the tabernacle was a picture of what is in heaven. And at that moment, humanity who could not access the presence of God because the curtain separated humanity from God's presence. Suddenly that, that curtain was torn and God said humanity can now dwell with the Father. Why? Because when Jesus breathed his last, he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the curtain. And here, here's what's interesting. I don't know, I find it interesting that, that he says that the, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now all throughout scripture, heaven is always described as above, always. And earth is always described as below. And I think it's interesting that it says it was torn from the top to the bottom, from heaven, where Jesus entered the presence of God with his own blood shed for our sin. He paved the way from heaven to earth so humanity could go from earth to heaven into the presence of a holy God who we have no business being in his presence. And yet it's been made possible because of the blood of the lamb. And so the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, turn back to Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 19, he says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, we never had confidence. As a nation, we could never, the curtain was in the way, we could not enter. But now we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of the lamb, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain. And then he makes this statement, that is his body. The curtain was a foreshadowing a picture of the light of Jesus that's always been present and that we come to our heavenly father through him. So Jesus says, I am, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. I don't know, where you're at in your faith journey this Christmas, but if you have not put your faith in Jesus, this is a significant year for you. Because this year, I wanna offer you the opportunity to enter into the very presence of God, clean and cleansed, not condemned, guilt-free, not because of what you have done, because you and I cannot enter his presence on our own, but through the curtain, which is his body, by the blood of the lamb, there is only one way to enter the presence of God, 
and it is through Jesus. And if you have never put your faith in Jesus, this is the most significant year in your entire life because this year, your inner life can actually be lit up with the light that brings eternal life. And I wanna invite you to put your faith. We simply receive what God did, the Passover lamb, sacrifice for our sin. We receive it through the hands of faith. Saying, Jesus, I couldn't do it on my own and I can't, but I receive what you have done on my behalf. And Christmas 2023 is your year where you become a child of the King by the blood of the Lamb. But Isaiah said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And what we've seen is although they were in the dark, God never left them in the dark. That the light of Christ was always there, dim as it was. And God never leaves us in the dark either. So I don't know, maybe as a follower of Jesus this year, you have put your faith in him. And yet because of life circumstances and things happening, you feel this cloud, this shadow over your life. And you wonder, is there any light? And I wanna remind you of a truth about shadows. Do you know, logically, physically speaking, shadows can only exist when a light is present? It is not possible to have a shadow without light. What the shadow does is it's a physical block to the light that creates the shadow below. But in this sense, the shadows are actually proof, not of darkness. The shadows of our lives are actually proof that a light is shining. And as we enter the shadows of our world, and we still do, and I think in many ways, we are not all that different than the nation of Israel 700 years before Jesus came. And they lived with a, a form of the light, but it had been shadowed and dimmed. And in a similar way, we live with the light. Jesus has come, but the shadows of a dark world can also shadow our experience of the light. And I want you to know that although the, there is light, we live with anticipation today as well. Much like the nation of Israel did 700 years before Jesus came. We live with the anticipation that Jesus will one day come and he will make all things new. And the shadows of this life will disappear and we will see clearly. In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul was saying to the church in Corinth when he said, for now we see only a reflection. It's a dim reflection. That's what that means. We see a dim reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And the writer John would say in 1 John 3, 2, that one day we will see Jesus and we will know him fully because we will see him face to face. And so although Jesus has come and the light is here, we also live with the paradox and the tension that sometimes the shadows of this life 
wanna cover over the light of Christ and we live in hope and anticipation of the light coming in a clearer way. So how are we to live in the midst of the light being here and yet the light still coming? Well, you're still in Hebrews chapter 10. After speaking about this, this curtain, the body of Jesus that gives us access to the Father, the writer of Hebrews says, here's how we ought to live in the tension of having this, this confidence and yet not having it fully experienced. Our salvation is still coming. He says this, let us, here's what we're to do. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So he says, we can step in and we can draw near to God with confidence. We step into his presence with a confidence. So the first thing we're to do as we live in this paradox is to lean in and draw near to our father in heaven. Not with guilt, not with self-condemnation because if you put your faith in Jesus, the, bl the blood of Jesus, the lamb of God has already taken your sin away. We step into and lean into our relationship with him and we draw near to him with confidence. But then he says this, let us also hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. You know what hope is? Hope is always future-based. No one hopes for what they already have. You hope for what's coming. And we have this hope. We have received salvation and yet he is gonna make all things new when he returns. We have the light and yet the shadows of this light can begin to dim it out, but he is coming and we will see him face to face. And so we hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Do you know that we can stand on the sure promise of God that Jesus will return and make things right? You know why? We know one reason, because God, who made a promise to the nation of Israel some 700 years before the light came, said, those walking in darkness have seen a great light. And some 700 years later, Jesus showed up and said, I am the light of the world. And when God says, Jesus will return and make all things new. Although we live on the front end of that and we're still hoping for his return, we have assurance because he's a God who is faithful in the past and he will be faithful in the future. There is light. And Jesus, the light, is still coming back. So I wanna encourage you this Christmas. Every single time you see a candle, and you drive around this town and you see a, a, a house lit up, I want it to be a reminder to you, even in the shadows that you face, that the light has come and Jesus is still coming back. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you never leave us in the dark. You did not leave the nation of Israel in the dark. The light was there, it was always there dim as it may have been. And your light is here. And even as we walk in the shadows and the world can be a dark place, and sometimes our world can be a dark place. Father, may the, even the physical light around us be a reminder of who you are, the spiritual light we have been given. Jesus, you are the light of the world. You came and you have brought life to us. Father, we just praise you and we thank you for your light and the life you offer.
We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.